Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Matt here. Guess what's happening on this week's binge list? I think she actually is good, but she was just given a dog script to work with. Hmm. Okay. Wow. Yes, if you say so, Claire. Of the reboot era, it's the first bona fide dog. Woof, woof, woof. So, this is Claire's froth of the week. To me, this new Murphy Brown feels a bit silly. It feels a bit uh, dated. And it feels a bit lost in, you know, the current world. It's it's a whole lot of nothing. It's silly. It's something from another time. And I've got to say here, the writing is absolutely dreadful. It's shockingly bad. This sucks so hard. (laughs) I really hated it. It's quite charming and um, really appealing. I really enjoyed it a lot, and I hope that we're going to see another season. And a lot of them have a lot of really bad plastic surgery. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Like, Corky and Murphy's face looks like it's about to melt under the studio lights. It is not a standard Chuck Lorre sitcom. Oh, it's no. a comedy with some very, very adult and very sort of dark and very true edges to it. It makes me feel so stupid that I had to turn it off. Back to Binge List, your weekly guide to what's new on Aussie TV. I'm your host, Matthew Denby, and joining me are Who Magazine's TV experts, Claire Rigdon and Gavin Scott. Welcome, guys. Hi. Hello. Well, this week sees the return of a classic American sitcom without its lead actress and without its original title. As we all know, Roseanne Barr was fired from her show, Roseanne, and you've probably already seen that her iconic character, Roseanne Connor, spoiler alert, is dead. And now her family's trying to get by without her, and the show's trying to get by as The Connors. It's back on 10 from November 22, despite some expectations it was to air next year, so it's been brought forward. Good news. But is it any good without Roseanne? What do you say, Claire? Um, yeah, look, this this one is, uh, I, I think I said it at the time, It's it was always going to be hard to bring this show back without Roseanne. Uh, not nearly, not only because of the fact that it's called Roseanne, <laughs> but um, plain and simple, this is Roseanne without Roseanne. It sort of feels the same. Does it work? Mm, I'm not sure that it does really feel like there's a huge kind of Roseanne bar shaped hole um, in the show and the way that they pick up um, it's tricky because they obviously have to reference the fact that she's passed away. Um, they don't seem to spend a lot of time. Like it's funnier than I thought that it was going to be, I thought, because sometimes this show gets quite dark and quite introspective. And But actually this, you know, it kind of zips along at quite a sort of clippy, fun speed, which is a bit at odds with the subject matter. But actually, I kind of thought that it worked because in our family, I don't know if you guys are the same, when really terrible stuff happens, a lot of the way that we deal with it is through humour. <laughs> and I don't think we're alone in this. Like, you know, when really bad stuff happens and you kind of find yourself laughing, like, you know, at a wake after a funeral or something, you're like, oh, my God, you know, maybe that's just me. But that's kind of what it felt like to me. Um, 
So, yeah, it felt really strange, but I, I actually didn't hate it as much as I thought I was going to. What did you think, Gavois? Am I just really odd for allowing myself to laugh at this? <laughs> no, I mean, it, it is funny. And, yeah, they do make jokes. It kind of, in the very first episode, it swings between, ha, 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 let, let's have some laughs because, you, you know, re- remembering her fondly, that kind of thing. And, yeah, some quite serious moments. But for me, it didn't feel like there was a massive hole in the show. I was watching it and I had that kind of niggling feeling that something wasn't there. And I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, Roseanne's not there. It didn't feel like there was a <laughs> massive hole, though, because there's so many other good characters and so much going on, and I feel like not having Roseanne around allowed them to give some more time to those other characters. DJ actually yeah. got some lines. I mean, that's not always, oh my a, God. Not always a good thing. But, um, <laughs> you know, get if as they, many as his wife, though. Yeah, he his didn't. Wife, he didn't. If, She's really good. If they're going to have DJ there, they should give him, you know, throw him a bone. But it allowed <laughs> Darlene's kids to have a little bit more action on screen. And, yeah, as you said, DJ's wife is introduced, who was uh, mentioned off screen in Roseanne. Uh, and, and yeah, she's great. She's she's a great addition she's to the cast. She's really good. Uh, you know, another sassy female in a, in a show kind of full of sassy females. But uh, yeah, she's she's a little bit different from from the other ones. Uh, and for me though, Jackie is really the MVP in, in this show. She can do sad. She can do funny. She can do funny sad. She can do sad funny. She kind of can do everything. And and every time the show moved from one of those moments where they're talking about Roseanne's death to something really silly, she just didn't miss beat she's yeah she's probably her and Darlena are my favorite characters on on the show and you know for me if they're in the show it's good it, it feels like they've got the best bits of Roseanne and yeah Roseanne's not in it but for me she wasn't always the best bit of the show what about you Matt that's true actually yeah yeah look I thought it was really successful really funny unfortunately the first five minutes are not the best representation of this I found tonally it was a bit of a fail in the first five minutes in introducing the subject of Roseanne's death a whole bunch of sort of laboured casserole jokes that didn't really fire and I thought oh no here we go but straight after that once they got through that it really was firing on all all cylinders it was fantastic I think the Becky and Darlene relationships fantastically written here I think that's going to be the spine of the new show it's going to be brilliant I think that you know Becky had some great lines one being uh, when she was speaking to Darlene she said you're the obvious choice to take over from mum you already live here and you're a scary little tyrant fantastic stuff really really funny (laughs) yes love Gina DJ's wife she's fantastic too. I disagree with you a little, um, Gavin, about Jackie. I thought that she was floundering a little bit without her old foil, Roseanne. She's going to really struggle without Roseanne to work against. I felt that she sort of was drifting into um, caricature sometimes. She's becoming the zany, wacky, crazy she figure. Can't, she's always kind of done that, though, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I, like, I think she's, she's always, always been, been... Wack, wacky-doo, and now she's a life coach, which, I mean, yeah. no one should be being a life coach um, more than Jackie, that didn't really make sense. But Jackie's the last <laughs> person on earth who should be a life coach is what I'm trying to say because, yeah, yeah, yeah. let's face it, she hasn't got the best life herself. She's still living with her mum. But, hey, can we talk about the big thing about this series, which is the thing that I'm totally frothy over this week. This is Claire's froth of the week. <laughs> it's bloody David's back. Darlene's. Main squeeze, my main squeeze from the 80s. Oh, my God. I'm I think so much more interesting than David is his new girlfriend, Blue. She was fantastic. Oh, I hated her. She's played oh, by Juliette Lewis. She's so funny in how obnoxious and appalling and she is. Her. No, fantastic oh. character at the parent teacher no. night when she was um, elbowing in on Darlene's territory and being the mother. I thought that was really, really funny. The energy I between them. I guess you're them. supposed to hate her, aren't you? Yes, exactly. And spoiler alert, there is a really funny revelation about why 
why she's called blue. It's a bit of an off-colour joke about why she's why she's called blue. But yeah, I think that you know, it, uh, uh, such an established show to have some great new characters is a really really good thing. I'm pleased about that. And just going back to uh, the tonal issues I was talking about at the beginning. To show that this show can really get that stuff right, later on in the first episode, they get onto the the detail of how Roseanne passed away. And it turns out that one of her neighbours had a hand in her passing. And this neighbour, Marcy, played by Mary Steenbergen, and it uh, dealt with some really serious matters about uh, uh, drug addiction and um, poverty in America and how people share prescription drugs. So really serious stuff, not funny, but handled excellently. And that's what Roseanne in its original run did it did the best. It could handle serious stuff, wouldn't you say, Gavin? Yeah, it, it definitely, and we're going to talk about this when we get on to our next show, but it is handling life in Trump's America. And we, we all know about the Medicare problems over there and, and people getting their access to their prescriptions and doctors and all that kind of thing. And this shows what, what is happening in, in middle America, in, in Trump's America. Um, and I thought that, yeah, the Connors has always been kind of one step ahead in showing the world we live in and how normal people, quote unquote, normal people deal with it. And I, th- I think yeah, it's continuing to do that quite well. On the subject of guest stars, as well as Juliette Lewis, I like the fact that um, a lot of the main characters are getting new love interests. We've got Matthew Broderick popping up as a love interest for Jackie and uh, Justin Long as a love interest for Darlene. And so, oh, like, I love Justin Long. I love him. Yeah, I've, I've actually watched three episodes of this, which was all that was on the Channel 10 media site. We kind of get sneak previews of, of shows. And I would have kept watching. I would have watched four, five, six if they were on there. Me I, too, yeah. I, I, I really wanted to, to keep watching. But it is good that they're, yeah, fleshing out the world with these new characters. I don't know how long any of them are sticking around at this stage, but it is good to see um, new life in the show. It's not just revisiting old jokes and old gags and old relationships. The old relationships are great, especially, as you said, Matt, uh, Becky and Darlene, that they, you know, their sparring has has driven the show since the beginning. I hate Becky. I hate her. Like, she's my least favourite character. I think she's way too cartoonish. But you know who I think is the best in this? is actually John Goodman. He has, he's such a clever actor. He's always, for me, the guy that just quietly knocks it out of the park in every scene. He's got this kind of quiet rage that is, I think, really sort of typical of men of his generation, What you know, white, sort of marginalised white men, that I just think re- is really popping in this series. Like he's so pissed about what's happened to Roseanne. Roseanne, the character that is, I think he does it really well. So I just want to give him a bit of a bit of a shout out because he's great. I liked his relationship with Mark, Darlene's son. Yeah, because yeah. when in Roseanne uh, we saw Mark and Roseanne start to have a little bit of a bond. Uh, forming, but now with Roseanne not around, uh, Dan and Mark are having this kind of uneasy bond where neither of them really knows what to make of the other one. But what did you make of that dynamic, Matt? I thought it was really fun and interesting and very edgy and, again, uh, a hark back to the original Roseanne where they touched on some issues that were very edgy back in the day. Not so edgy now, but very edgy back in the day, and this is really edgy. Like a a grandfather talking to his grandson, pre-pubescent grandson, about picking out a boyfriend – now, that is really going to freak out a lot of people. It's yeah. um, quite challenging. And I wonder what middle America is going to think about it, whether they're really going to care or whether that's going to really disturb them. I don't know. But what we do know for sure is that the ratings have really crashed in America since Roseanne disappeared. Have they? 
They have indeed. And I don't think that's got anything to do with the quality of the writing, unfortunately. I think that's probably a political thing yeah. in that a lot of people who were connected to the Trumpian Roseanne character feel slighted by her being removed from the show and they're probably abandoned because, honestly, listeners, the quality of the writing is as good as it has ever been. It's really, really good stuff, wouldn't it, you say, Gavin? Yeah, it's very sharp. It's very funny. Um, I kind of feel like it's almost the show's had too many false starts in a way and people have just gone, oh, I can't be bothered. Maybe, maybe yeah. that's what resulted in, in people abandoning it. But um, incidentally, this is exactly what happened to a, a while ago. We were talking about people getting removed from their shows mm. and I referenced a show called Valerie, which became Valerie's family, which became the Hogan family. And it's exactly yeah. what's happened here, where it's gone from Roseanne to the Connors. And in the you know in the past, I believe the Hogan family actually ran for a few seasons after Valerie um, and Harper was was kicked off her own show. Yeah. So it would be nice to see the Connors run for a few seasons after Roseanne has been removed. But yeah, with those ratings, I don't know if it will. But I hope. Yeah, so. but it might be one of those shows that does better overseas. You know, like Thirty Rock when it was on air, it won lots of awards, but it never really fired in the ratings. And yet, you know, the DVD sales and the kind of on sale on sale to to international territories did really well for them so yeah i wonder if that's going to be the same for the connors well that's true i mean uh broadcast ratings aren't the be all and end all anymore are they no I think what would be great is if everybody forgot about the politics that got attached to this show. If you're either for Trump or against him, if you just forgot all of those preconceptions and just watch the actual show. Because there's no overt politics in this season that I've seen so far. There's social issues, really hardcore social issues, but not politics and um, not personalities from politics. So if we can all move past that stuff and just watch the show, this will continue to air because it's a fantastic writing, fantastic cast, and it really deserves to stay on the air. I really enjoyed it. I loved it. I'd recommend everyone to watch The Connors. Wouldn't you say so, guys? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. It's not amazing for me, but it's good. Okay, so The Connors is on 10 from November 22. G'day, it's Hamish and Andy here, and um, you're listening to The Binge List. Uh, that's all true. Another major hit from the past is returning in reboot form. 90s sitcom Murphy Brown is back to get laughs out of the Trump era. There's plenty of material to work with, but is it funny and is it worth checking out when it returns to 10 on November 26? What do you reckon, Gavin? Um, in short, No. And let me explain why. And I used to love Murphy Brown back in the day. Yeah. I I watched it pretty regularly, but I haven't seen it since it finished. Uh, It doesn't seem to be one of those shows that gets rerun very often, or if it does, I've missed it. So um, I only had a really vague memory of of what the show was like. And, you know, the recurring gag of Murphy Brown always having a new secretary was the thing that I I remembered. And that was kind of about the only thing that I remembered. Yeah. Um, so watching this new version of Murphy Brown, it came flooding back. I was like, ah, right, yes, this is what the show used to be like because the new Murphy Brown is pretty consistent with the old Murphy Brown. Yeah. The comedy is, is, is pretty much the same. The tone of the show is pretty much the same. And that tone is fairly silly. Yeah. And I used to think that Murphy Brown was quite a serious show and it, it definitely dealt with some serious things. I mean, obviously, Murphy Brown came under fire from Dan Quayle in, in real life. Um, but Murphy Brown, the character, was always kind of taking on the man, taking on the powers that be and getting up on her soapbox and talking about issues that affected the world. The problem is now everyone gets up on their soapbox. It's called Twitter. 
Mm. And yeah. so a show like Murphy Brown is kind of a bit behind the times because what it used to do and kind of be one of the only things that, that used to do that, now everyone's doing. And so what does Murphy Brown really have a place anymore? So I think if it wanted to find a new place in this new media landscape, it needed to move forward. But unfortunately, it seems to be stuck in the past. So the premise of this new show is that Murphy hasn't been working, hasn't been on air for a while, and she gets a new job on a morning show and she gets the old gang back together. She gets Corky, she gets Frank, and she gets neurotic Miles. Miles is still incredibly neurotic. Corky is still really silly. Frank is still really self-obsessed. And Murphy Brown still gets up on a soapbox and lectures people, including, in episode two, uh, Sarah Sanders, the White House press secretary, in a ridiculous scene that I'm just watching going, yeah, maybe back in the day this would have been like, yeah, Murphy, stick it to her. Now it just seems really silly because mm. any time mm. Sarah tweets, everyone sticks it to her. Mm. So, yeah. I don't know. It, it To me, this new Murphy Brown feels a bit silly. It feels a bit uh, dated and it feels a bit lost in in you know the current uh, the current world. What what did you think, Claire, of the new Murphy? Yeah, it's funny. I watched this out of order. I actually watched episode two before I watched the first episode because it wasn't quite available for me at that point. And I was like, this sucks so hard. <laughs> I really hated it. There was a scene in the second episode where Murphy decides she's going to try and get into the White House press pool. So she puts on this, like, ridiculous black wig and I'm just going, what? Like, no, this is just stupid. And I think a lot of what you say is true, Gavin, that that the current administration in the States is is laughable if it wasn't so horrifying but mm. you know we, we we're so used to people skewering it and lampooning it and that this yeah this feels like a little bit of a high school drama production version of that <laughs> but then I watched the first episode and I was like oh okay I get it so I you know once I had the context the sort of slapstick silliness of the second episode made a little bit more sense but the stuff that I really liked was the interactions between Murphy and Avery who's yeah. her son and in this, Avery is actually, he's a broadcast journalist like Murphy and he's just moved back to Washington because he's been given his own show. And uh, so he's essentially, and spoiler alert, doing exactly what his mum does. And um, the guy that plays Avery, I've never heard of him before. He's really excellent. He's very likeable in a way that the others aren't, like the original characters, I was a bit like, oh, you're all caricatures of yourself. And a lot of them have a lot of really bad plastic surgery. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Like Kirky, Corky and Murphy's face looks like it's about to melt under the studio lights. Oh, that's so mean, but you know what I mean. What about Frank? And, you know, Frank oh, and those oh, cheek implants. Frank. But whereas Avery just felt kind of relatable and real. Like I would actually watch a show with Avery as the central character mm. and none of the other clowns involved which is a bit weird, I guess, but um, maybe I'm not the target demo. It's the kind of show that I feel like my parents would enjoy more than me. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, uh, just just for people listening, there, the guy who plays Avery uh, is a character called a character is an actor called Jake McDorman who was in Greek and I, I think he was in Limitless, the TV adaptation of the film Bradley Cooper was in. But uh, oh. But, yeah, so he has been around a little bit, but, yeah, he's not that well-known. He's a flat-out hottie. And oh, my the, God. Yeah, the rapport between him and Murphy is, for me, the saving grace of the show because, yeah, the, yeah. the good fight, Will and Grace, all these other shows do taking on Trump much better than Murphy Brown does and have done it for the last couple of years. 
So, um, yeah, for, for me it feels like um, the, the, the best Just bit. a bit of a snooze fest. It is, it is. But, yeah, thank goodness for Avery, who obviously was born on the show, and so if that doesn't make you feel old, nothing's, nothing will. Um, <laughs> Matt, what did you think of Murphy? Did you watch it back in the day? Yes, just exactly like you, I used to watch it, like a lot of people in Australia, because I think people have forgotten this was a huge hit for a number of years. Mm. Really, really big. And then when it went off air, it sort of went into a black hole. It became irrelevant. Nobody was sitting around thinking, oh, I miss Murphy Brown, or <laughs> God, that, I wish they'd bring Murphy Brown back. It was so funny. It was just a good primetime show. It wasn't a classic. It didn't have much amazing to say. Look, and now that it's back, we understand why it's sort of just disappeared into a void. It's it's a whole lot of nothing. It's silly. It's something from another time. And I've got to say here, the writing is absolutely dreadful. It's shockingly bad. Really, yeah. really bad. I did not laugh once. It's absolute rubbish. I've got to say, it's a real shame that they would drag uh, a hit show like this through the mud with such a tawdry... Uh, boring. No, it's garbage. (laughs) I'm never going to watch it again. It's an absolute misfire. I did like uh, the Avery character who is basically Ronan Farrow. Let's let's be honest. That's who that's supposed to be. Oh, yeah, that's who he's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, this this show is obsessively anti-Trump, which is not a bad thing. It's something – it means that they have – a whole lot of potential fireworks to go off, but none of them do explode. They're all damp squibs. And it's not the, subtle. No, it's not subtle at all. No. It's extremely poorly written. Um, it's a complete waste of time. I'm going to call it, so far, of the reboot era, it's the first bona fide dog. Woof, woof, woof. So has it, has it, um, has it done well in the States? No. It's tepid. Yeah, and, and I think as you were saying, Matt, that the problem with Murphy Brown is that it was it's tied so strongly to events that are happening, which makes it difficult for reruns. Yeah, because who wants to watch what was happening in the early nineties in America? Um, and and so it dates so quickly. So these episodes are also going to date because they're so tied to what was happening now and you know the last couple of years, including. Can, can we talk about? The Hillary Clinton appearance. Yeah, look, that was. Do you oh, want to go first? Can we or? not? I much preferred her on Broad City. Thanks very much. It just, just leave it at that. Thanks, Hillary Rodham. It just seemed like oh, again, and and I, I know she probably did it because Murphy Brown was so iconic, and you know Candace Bergen won Emmy after Emmy after Emmy for this role, and so I can see that Hillary would have been like, yeah, Murphy. Oh gosh, I loved Murphy. Yeah, I'll come on the show and and do do a cameo, and and she um oh actually I won't spoil it. You you can see how she pops up, but it just fell flat for me, and I just thought. Why Why is Hillary popping up on this show? Yeah, look, I think we can divide the blame equally for that appalling sequence. 50% of the blame is the shockingly bad and inept writing, and 50% of the blame is Hillary's appalling delivery. Don't go into acting, Oh, no, Hillary. no, 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 no. Because I actually think that she's quite a good actor. Because in Broad City, when when in the last season, when they do, uh, when they're campaigning at Hillary's office, and, um, and Alana, um, she walks in, and it spawned one of the most, you know, iconic kind of things from that show, which is when uh, Alana sort of salutes her. If you've seen the show, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's so funny and she's so great in that. So I disagree. I think she actually is good, but she was just given a dog script to work with. Mm, okay. I think <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yes, if you say so, Claire. Yeah, no, look, we're all entitled to our opinions. But I think if we step past the Hillary sequence, I think what all three of us can agree on is that this is appalling. Correct. Yeah, 
it's woofing. You're right, man. <laughs> it is. It is. Okay, listeners, viewers, please don't sully your memories of Murphy Brown if indeed you <laughs> still do have any. Don't watch this show. It's rubbish. Um, if you're going to refuse to listen to our advice, Murphy Brown airs on 10 from November 26. TV news. It's TV news time, and SBS's Child Genius Quiz Show is wrapping up its first season with a big finale on November 21. This show has really been calculated to deliver a big old punch at Australia's notorious anti-intellectualism and our obsession with sport by elevating and celebrating smart kids. Yay, smart kids. It's hosted by Susan Carland, who is great in it, and the finale has a lot of really memorable moments, for good and for bad. What did you think of it, Claire? Uh, are you smarter than a fifth grader? I'm totally not. I yeah. can't get a single one of these questions and it makes me feel really stupid. So I am I am a fan of Susan. She's great. I think a lot yeah. of the kids are quite charming. But will I watch this? Well, no, I can't. I literally can't. It makes me feel so stupid that I had to turn it off. I was like, no, <laughs> no, I can't. Like, Good on you for having such smart kids, but you're making me feel inept on two levels. One, because I can't answer these questions. And two, because I'm not, like, training my child to be a genius. Like, should I be? Should I be doing flashcards? Like, yeah. It made me very anxious and a little bit angry. <laughs> oh, but wow. it is a good show. It is a good show. I, f- I feel like with the questions that they give them, yeah, I don't think they're things that normal people are meant to know. No. I, I feel like they go, right, here's your textbook on quantum physics. Absolutely, Go yeah. away and read it, study it, and it, it basically it's a memory test in a lot yeah. of ways. It's like, here's your, you know, go and cram and then come back and we're going to ask you questions on what you've just yeah, read. And so it's maybe. really, it, it gauges how well they take in the information. And yeah, there is some general knowledge stuff in there and spelling and all that kind of stuff, obviously. But um. In the finale, there's this really dramatic bit where one of the parents challenges the adjudicator. Yes. Oh, uh, and, amazing. And, uh, I, you know, I won't reveal what happens because obviously it hasn't aired yet. But I was just like, excellent. Because, you know, as, as much as this is about the kids, this is also about the parents. Yeah. And, you know, ugh, parents. Like some of them, <laughs> some of the parents in this show are just awful. Mm. And... Um, some of the parents are great and really down to earth about it and, and, you know, in the interviews they give to camera about their kids, they come across really well. Some of them don't at all. And then, yeah, one of, one of the parents challenges the adjudicator and it's like, that's never going to end well. Like, really? You think you know more than this adjudicator? But, Gavin, is, is that an example of pushy parenting or is it engaged parenting? Um, mm. I would say both. I, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like it um, – I don't know. I don't want to spoil it because you'll see how it plays yeah. out on air. So I, I don't yeah. want to spoil what happens. But I kind of think, yeah, maybe don't object unless you know what you're talking about is, is what I would say. Oh, my- no, that sounds amazing. I might need to watch now. Like uh, my favourite of the, of the parents that um, – that aren't as smart as their kids, that are sort of like, you know, really sweet and just going, we have no idea where all this brain came from. And I I really relate to that. (laughs) The the ones like the ones I had to get a tutor in. We was like, yeah, we were were homeschooling our kids and then they got too smart for us, so we had to get a tutor in. Oh, that's awesome. But, uh, I mean, most of the kids, what I really liked about it um, was the kids were really supportive of each other. There were a couple of really competitive ones, a couple of boys who were really quite competitive, but... All across the board, they were all really supportive. They'd sit down and whether, you know, if they had a if uh, they had a good go up on the stage or a bad go, 
they'd congratulate each other, they'd give each other high fives, all that kind of stuff. And I thought that was, was really yeah. lovely. What did you think, Matt? I thought it was really touching the way that they'd, some of them had really found their soulmates in, in meeting yeah. kids of their own intellect where there's yeah, one kid right. in particular, particular who made it quite clear that he he really suffers at school because he, he's not uh, what uh, the other kids want. Like he's, he probably can't kick a ball or whatever and he's, he's treated as less than uh, less than suitable. Um, and I think the this show itself touches on that theme. You know, there was a bit at the start of the final episode talking about how Australia needs to start venerating academic achievement in the way, same way that it does sport. And that's completely true. We do, we do. There is a strain of anti-intellectualism that runs through Australian society. There certainly was when I was at school. Um, sport was venerated above all else. Uh, people who achieved academically were not uh, given the kind of kudos that they probably should have. Um, but I thought this was excellent entertainment. Um, I thought that Susan Cullen was fantastic. She had, She's she, great. She had like the gravity as an educator and also she had this wonderful sort of maternal energy which was really sort of appealing as well. I think she was fantastic. Because I think her own son is gifted, isn't he? Right, I'm not sure about that, but I think that um, I think that she should definitely um, do more work along these lines because she's really good at it. Mm. Um, I thought there was a fantastic moment right at the end where there was a nail biter between two of the two of the um, the kids about who was going to get over a certain line, and then uh, one of them obviously didn't get over the line. But the way that that kid handled it was so beautiful, and I thought, you know, this is you know, it's the cliche, but there's two winners there. There's the kid there who's not only smart, but he has he's a fantastic quote unquote loser not mm. a loser not a loser at all but a winner in the way that he handled that and that's gonna that attitude is gonna um, stand him in such good stead as he goes through life he's 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 really um on good ground it's quite charming and um really appealing i really enjoyed it a lot and i hope that we're going to see another season I, l- I like that there are winners and losers in this and, and yeah. you know, that the stakes are real and in, in this era where yeah everyone gets a prize yeah. it's good to see something there where actually you don't all get a prize yeah. Someone's a winner and the rest of you aren't. And that doesn't mean you're no good. You're, you're great. You're all obviously really super intelligent. But there is one winner. And I quite like that um, message being sent to, you know, if you work hard, you might yeah. be the winner. As opposed to if you complain and whinge, then you'll get a prize as well to shut you up. Yeah. Which, um, <laughs> you know, which I think is an important message to send. But the thing I didn't like about the show was the voiceover was a bit much. Mm. All the so-and-so is in danger of elimination was a bit over the top. And, you know, this so-and-so needs one more point to equal someone else. I was like, duh, it's up on screen in big numbers. Uh, you know, I may not be a child genius, but I can do simple <laughs> maths. So that was, <laughs> that was the thing. That was the only thing that bothered me was that it was, um, you know, it was a really nice show and it was a really, uh, you know, challenging show in, in some ways for, for to watch. But we didn't need it to be treated like every other reality show with the whole, you know, after the break. So-and-so and so-and-so go head to head. Who will go home tonight? I think if they could have toned that down, I would have enjoyed it more. Yeah, yeah. Right, well, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great TV. And the finale of Child Genius airs on November 21 on SBS. So do check it out. To binge or not to binge? That is the question. Netflix has a new comedy from Chuck Lorre starring Michael Douglas and Alan Arkin, The Kaminsky Method. This really couldn't be any further from the Big Bang Theory. So Chuck fans, watch out. What did you think of it, Gavin? Well, 
I was really excited when I saw this coming because I thought, oh my gosh, even Chuck Lorre has gone to Netflix. But actually, <laughs> it's not his first Netflix show. His first Netflix show was Disjointed, which had Kathy Bates in it, but that only lasted one season, which must have been a, a bit of a shock for old Chuck Lorre, who's had Big Bang Theory, which is what, season 12 now, Two and a Half Men, which went on forever, plus Mom and uh, Two Broke Girls, though there's other recent long-running comedies. For him to have a show that only lasted one season, yeah, must have been a surprise. So I guess he's hoping that the Kaminsky method will do a bit better than that. And it probably will. It stars Michael Douglas as a past it actor, Sandy Kaminsky. He's kind of at the age now where he's teaching acting classes. He's not going to get the big parts. He's he's not going to be a Hollywood heartthrob. So Sandy is just settling into, you know, life in, in, you know, that time of his life uh, where he can pass on what he knows to up-and-coming actors. And he hangs out with his friend and agent, Norman. And this really is just a show about kind of two old guys getting on with life, getting on with their careers, you know, in in the twilight years and all the things that uh, come along their way. There's a new love interest for Sandy. And, uh, yeah, if I'm sounding a little bit bored, that's because I was. It's um, it, it's just all a bit meh. I mean, it, it's that's fine. A, that's how I felt too, Gav. Yeah, it, it's fine. It's watchable enough. There are some gentle laughs. Michael and Alan have some good chemistry. But for me, it wasn't like, oh, my gosh, I have to watch this. It's so funny. I love it. But after seeing one of Matt's tweets over the weekend, I know that he did love it. So I'm going to pass it over to him to try and convince you. I absolutely did love it. And I classically binged it. Like I turned on the first episode and I went straight through the whole series without stopping. I loved this to bits. I thought it was fantastic. It is not a standard Chuck Lorre sitcom. It's a comedy with some very, very adult and very sort of dark and very true uh, edges to it. At one, we start off with some really sort of funny stuff about the nature of uh, of a declining career and the nature of dealing with idiots and the nature of the absurdity of acting and some sparks between um, Alan Arkin and Michael Douglas with their sort of edgy friendship. But then we ter- take an extreme angle into really dark territory, which is a character passing away and not in a silly sitcom kind of way, in a very realistic and sort of uh, heartfelt and even upsetting way. That's incredibly brave. It's not particularly commercial, but it worked for me. It got me right in the gut, punched in the gut. I was hooked in and really feeling things for these characters um, and then loving the comedy. When the comedy came back in after, uh, you know, when we got to the funeral, there was a bit of levity with the funeral, Um, some really funny uh, major celebrity cameos and uh, perhaps a cameo that isn't what you might think it is to start with. I'm not going to spoil it. Um, I thought thought this was fantastic. It's one of the better comedies of the year. I'm giving it 9 out of 10. Now, Claire, I know you disagree with me. Wow. Go well, for it. I was a bit disappointed because I thought it was about Peter Kavinsky from All the Boys I've Loved Before. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would so watch I wasn't that. Starting from a good place because I was like, sweet, I love Peter Kavinsky. And then I was like, oh, hang on, Kavinsky. Um, yeah, I mean, this reminded me a little bit of um, that other Netflix series, Grace and Frankie, mm. another one that the old ducks quite like. But, um, you know, I, I'm the first to admit that I like a bit of grumpy old man humour. But I like it to be much more sort of Curb Your Enthusiasm style Larry David shtick. And this, yeah, as you say, Matt, it does kind of veer into some quite touching, quite real scenarios. And, you know, full full credit to Chuck Laurie, this is actually the first of his shows that I could tolerate more than two minutes of. 
Oh. <laughs> but would I watch it? Nah. Nah. Give me Larry David and, and, and give me, you know, give me all the wackadoodle characters from Curb any day over this, which just felt a little bit like it was trying to be Curb and also trying to be a little bit, I don't know. Nah, I was really bored. I'm with Gavin. I didn't love it. Yeah, I, I would watch the Connors over this and, and – Matt on on Twitter when I questioned him about saying how brilliant this was, I was like, "Really?" He was like, "I'll oh, go and watch another teen drama or something." Yeah, I was like, "Yeah, you know what? I will." Yeah, I think you should. I think you should. That was a burn, actually. I think we need to call out to the fact that Matt just totally owned us on on Twitter. This week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, Maybe you were just delirious from the flu, though, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> which I think, which I think, I gave to him by coughing all over the microphones last week. Um, but yeah, I, I will own up to the fact that I like the odd teen drama or every teen drama. But yeah, I, I like my comedies um, to be a, a lot funnier. If they're going to be dark, as you say, Claire, something quirky like Curb is quite good. But you know what, Matt, I'm, I'm not going to call you a grumpy old man or anything like that <laughs> because this appeals to you. But um, yeah, I think let, let's take this back onto Twitter. Yeah, perhaps also, so. Also, one foot in the grave. Uh, also, you know, you could probably find that on online too, Matt. If that's t- you remember that British. <laughs> oh, <laughs> come British now, look. Uh, no, I'm not a fan Golden of. Girl. I'm not a fan of one foot in the grave, and I'm actually not a fan of uh, what's the Jane Fonda one that you were talking about? Grace and Frankie. Yeah, I've I've seen that. I don't find that funny either. This is you know, old people is not a genre that I'm particularly attracted to. This is just really, really well done, listeners. It's an it's, insight into your life down the track. Matt. It's sophisticated. <laughs> It's adult. It takes chances. It's risky. It's edgy. It's emotionally resonant. It's a snooze fest. Well, yeah, maybe for some. So, listeners, if you're after something a little bit different, The Kaminsky Method is now available on Netflix. It's time for this week's Hidden Gem. The Hidden Gems are often the best. And, Claire, you've been watching John Leguizamo's Latin History for Morons on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, I have. And if you <laughs> it should be called, you know, like John Leguizamo's name pronunciation for morons because listeners, we just had to do that four times while Matt stumbled over his name. Anyway, yes, I've loved John Leguizamo since Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet when he said, peace, I hate the word. And I've loved him ever since that. And he pops up in heaps of movies. He's sort of one of those amazing bit part character actors who just knocks it out of the park every time. But um, who knew? He's actually also a comedian. And this Netflix comedy special based on his award-winning Broadway show of the same name is a really, really excellent little potted history of the contribution of Latin people to American culture. And by America, he means Central Southern America and the Caribbean Islands. And it's pretty big in its scope. It spans the 3,000-year history, um, as he says, quote, unquote, from the Mayans to Pitbull, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Um, so it's it's a bold concept and it's based on the premise that his son wasn't really being taught about the real heroes of Latin American history. So John takes upon himself to educate himself about it um, and turns it into a comedy special along the way. So it's mucho educational and it's also mucho funny. It's really good. Um, so the, the setup is that he's on stage and he sort of sets himself up like a history teacher and he's got a blackboard and a, and a, and a piece of chalk. Um, but it's also really effing sad. Like, so I don't, I don't really know much about Latin American history. Obviously it gets taught, a lot of this stuff gets taught in American high schools. But really when I watch this, 
there's a lot of obvious parallels between the treatment of the Indigenous people of the United States and Latin America and what happened to our own Indigenous people in Australia. So, like, think a lot of genocide, smallpox, disease, ethnic cleansing. It's not always pretty, but kudos to John. He makes it really entertaining and it's super educational and it really is a fantastic little insight into a period of history that I have to admit I, I really knew next to nothing about. So, yeah, he's, um, he's Colombian-American and, he you know, one of the things that I read about this special, he's described as a bit of a ghetto scholar in that he's sort of self-taught and he really kind of helps viewers swallow some of the tough truths about colonial history and, and what's happened over the years by coding them in comedy, which I think is really clever and something that... Um, Hannah Gadsby managed to do with her really excellent Netflix special, Nanette, which obviously is nothing to do with this <laughs> subject matter. But, yeah, so if you're looking for some really interesting content that is also going to make you think and laugh, then, yeah, have a, check this out. It just popped up in my feed. I knew nothing about it, but I really enjoyed it. And if you're keen, John Linguizamo's Latin History for Morons is available now on Netflix. That's it for another week. Next week, we'll be talking about On the Ropes and the Black Mysteries. If you enjoyed this episode of Binge List, please make sure you are subscribed via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or through any of the major podcast apps. Contact us on Twitter. I'm Mr. Matt Denby. He's Gavin Scott 99 and she's I Am Claire. Until next week, everyone, happy viewing. Bye. Bye. Binge List brought to you by Who Magazine. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.